Hello, and welcome to yet another podcast. I'm Josh Kaplan, and with me is Leah Delore. We use an approach called Lean Coffee to engage in agendaless time box discussions centered around software engineering. Here's how it works. We brainstorm topics, cast our votes, and those with the highest votes get discussed first. Each topic gets a dedicated five-minute discussion, and when time's up, we vote. Do we delve deeper for another five minutes or jump to the next topic? So grab your coffee and let's get started. I have a new microphone. That's new for all of the new podcast people. I hope I sound great. Shout out to Ben. (laughs) I have the same microphone. (laughs) And hopefully a slightly less echoey room with a little bit of sound absorbing foam. Uh, We'll see if that has any effect at all. Mine can actually turn on echo. Like in my, do you have a like echo like thing? I, I, it's, I realize I'm turning the microphone and it's, it's directional. So that might be screwing up my audio right now as I'm trying to look at the other side of the microphone. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Excellent. Right. I'm going to stop doing that. Yeah. Um, Though I have not learned my microphone as well as I should. I'm a software engineer, not an audio engineer. And uh, now you do podcasts, so you should probably figure it out. (laughs) I will learn eventually. Um, This is, this is an iterative process. And step one was learn how to publish a podcast. Yeah, we're being very agile about this. <laughs> we are. We, we should do retros and everything, too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe our what next do you feel more poorly about that? I mean, frankly, we did that, right? Like, you know, in, in terms of us, like, talking about the podcast a little bit, like, meta podcast conversation, <laughs> um, right? Like, one of the things we found in some of the recordings, like, it's really useful if we decide on the topics list ahead of time. So we'll, yeah. we're going to end our sessions by voting on topics for the next week. Uh, so that we have some time in between to like maybe do a little bit of research or at least give a little thought to the topic and be put a little bit less on the spot, um, but still have a structure that we don't have to do a tremendous amount of planning for and don't have to you know prep anything. Yeah, I can tell you that I did not prepare this week at all for this. I, I Googled one of the topics. Um, I, that I, was I just Googled with. it right before we started recording I, I think we're talking about different topics um so our, our topics today uh in no particular order are aws amplify which i know you've been playing around with a little bit lately um that was the one that i googled because I, I i i heard of it um i've never used it i've never gone deep into that um so i, I read a very brief description of it uh and we'll, we'll see where that leads from a conversation yeah. standpoint. um the other topic we have is effective remote work, uh, which I know is a topic that you and I are both uh, experienced and passionate about. Um, we are going to talk about AI and how it will change software engineering, you know, for as good as we might be at predicting that. Um, but at least our perspective on it, uh, what we've experienced with it over the last year and really exploring things like ChatGPT and GitHub Copilot. Um, and finally, uh, for our maybe smaller topic um, is closures what they are, how they work, what they're for. I'm going to assume that's the one you Googled. Actually, it wasn't that one, but I should Google it. I might do that right now. (laughs) Just for that, I want to start with closures. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) Um, All right, I'm starting the five-minute timer. Okay. All right, closures. Leah, what are they? (laughs) A closure is the combination of function bundled together with the references to its surrounding state. 
you, you want to cite your source on that or plagiarize what you just <laughs> yeah. found on the internet? <laughs> MDN web docs. Sorry. Uh, okay. That's and, Mozilla developer network for, yes. for folks who aren't familiar with MDN. Um, uh, and it says closure gives you access to an outer function scope for our, from an inner, inner function. So like, I know about closures. Yeah. You, you don't write JavaScript and have never been exposed to a closure, yeah. right? Like yes. it's, it, they're, they're fairly common in JavaScript, but they're not unique to JavaScript. They're common in a lot of languages. They're just used a lot more in JavaScript for some reason. I, I was asked this in an interview once, and that's one of the reasons I thought this would be an interesting discussion topic. Cause I, I definitely, I fumbled my way through that interview. I, I got through an, a, an acceptable enough explanation when I was put on the spot and told explain closures. Um, that was a hard question for me. Um, Cause I think even if you've had exposure to them, you have some idea of what they are, but when you're asked to explain them, that's harder. So a, a closure, right. To, to kind of go off your definition, it's a, it's, it's a, a function inside of a function or a function that returns another function. But before it returns that other function, it sets some variables and some scope. That's the simplest way to put it. It can do a lot more complex things, um, but but that's the gist of it. And the the benefit of it, and I'll use an example because the, the first one that comes to my head is what we're doing in one of the code bases we're working on with authentication. What we effectively did, right, was we wrote a function that authenticates the user and we wrote a closure around that, right? So we have a function that returns the authentication function, but before it returns that function, it sets a bunch of scope of like, what's the URL of my authentication server? Yeah. What group access am I checking for a user before I authenticate them? And so I'm basically configuring my authentication before okay. I create the authentication function. Okay. And I'm doing that dynamically on the fly, but I, I'm, I'm, the term closures comes from the idea of like, I'm closing the scope of that function. I'm creating some scope and then like locking that in place for a given function. Apple. That's, that's fair. It's something that I thought of randomly is that like, I feel like react does a lot of closures potentially. Like if we really were to dive into it, cause now react is a functional component and most people are return. Mm -hmm like people return functions in the return function of a react component when they are trying to maybe render some smaller component that they like created, you know, uh, using the outer state. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a little less deliberate and a little bit more yeah. forced by the react framework, but yes. it's, it's yeah. a very similar, it's the same concept. It's just a little less direct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So that's closures in a nutshell. Um, So, so AWS Amplify. Yeah. I'm starting the timer. Uh, you've played around with it. I've Googled it. Um, you want to get into kind of your experience with it so far, what you found? Yeah. Um, so I've had very minimal experience. Um, I have been trying to set up a pot or not a podcast. I've already done that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to set up a personal website. And I've been wanting to do that through AWS because I would love to get more experience in that realm. Um, and so when I went on to AWS, they had this thing called AWS Amplify. And it was like telling me that it was really quick uptime for getting a website. 
And I was like, okay, like, let me just play around with it. It basically took in a GitHub code uh, repo. And when I connected it, it grabbed the pipeline that was just already in my code base. And it spinned up an instance of that website. And it was completely free. It gave me a free like URL to go to and I went to it and like it was all there. I didn't set up an API specifically for it, but it did say like that that was something that it could do is like spin up an API. I just had a static website. Um, And so basically anytime now that I push to my GitHub repo, it will spin up my pipeline and update my website. So Amplify, let me, let me backtrack and I'm going to ask you a couple questions on, on your experience with it, but a little bit more targeted. Yeah. Um, it, it comes with, it's got a command line tool, right? That like you, you set up like the initial framework for your project. You choose what like languages and frameworks you want to use. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the gist I've gotten. Right. And so like, you're like, oh, I want to do a react app and maybe a backend and like, here's yeah. the language I want to use for that. And that when it creates the framework for your code, that'll create the CI/CD pipeline that will deploy it to AWS as well. Yeah. So basically, I didn't know about AWS Amplify until after I had created my React app. So I had created my React app purely for knowing that this is the code that I want to make as my personal website. And I use React app like creation uh, CLI on my local and then connected that to a GitHub repo and all of that stuff. And it just instantly pulled it. So it didn't need to do a CLI through AWS at all. Oh, you're not, you're not running it through like GitHub actions. Like AWS is watching your repo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, interesting. And so, and you can, from, from the brief search I did, right. You can do choose different front end frameworks like react or angular or whatever, and you can choose different backends. Um, and, and I'm not sure you'll know the answer to this, but like, what does it do with the backends? Does it deploy like an EC2 instance? Does it run containers? Does it do it serverless or is it just, here's my, or do you, or do you go to Amplify and you're like, here's my code, please do magic. <laughs> Honestly, that's a great question. It literally, it was, here's my code, go do some magic. Um, I didn't look into it deeper. It was completely free and it gave me like a URL. So I would assume that AWS doesn't want to host a website that's going to be like in a constant container. Um, but I didn't look at the back end. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing that I kind of wanted to comment on earlier, you mentioned, um, that it was free and I think it's, it's free to get started, Yes. but it doesn't stay free. Oh. And I don't know what, I don't know what the pricing looks like. Like, I think from, from the brief search, it was like, oh, it's free to get set up. And then you get like a free first 12 months. And then you pay for the resources you use, which I will say from a cloud standpoint, if you're not careful about your auto scaling and you let something auto scale up in high traffic and you don't really want it to do that, yeah, um, your costs could, could go higher than you expect. Yeah. Well, I haven't put in my credit card yet, so <laughs> they can't charge me. <laughs> no, but if they use the resource, yeah, that's fair. But if they yeah. use the resources and you don't do it, uh, eventually they will just 
yes they will they will shut down your services yes yeah and i mean like uh, yes i agree <laughs> and i it's uh you mm. know i honestly was just playing around with it because i don't have as much experience in aws as i would like so i wanted to kind of see what i could do and that was just like the easiest like it told me it was like the easiest way to just start your um so i'm, I'm putting our one minute wrap up timer on okay and unless you want to go way longer on this one but my my skepticism around this is simply that like i i read like the marketing stuff like the marketing mm -hmm. page for amplify yeah. like and it's like it does a lot for you and it's like a framework that'll like quickly integrate with like amazon cognito for authentication or quickly integrate with s3 or a database um but also part of the it does a lot for you means you don't necessarily learn those technologies well Oh no, I right, and I, I think that's the trade-off with something like this. It also means that you don't necessarily have the flexibility you want. Yeah. Um, if you're looking at doing this like in a in a work environment, right? Yeah. That it might be quick and easy to get something up, but not easy to maintain. Oh no, one hundred percent, I agree. To be honest, I want to go the route of going to AWS um, Lambda, but yeah, definitely doesn't allow you to learn more. effective remote work uh, i'm gonna start the timer and i suspect this is gonna be one we'll increase the time on yeah um because so, so for a little bit of background right for listeners you and i have both worked remote a lot um i've been working remote almost exclusively since since 2017. um you've worked fully very remote very hybrid since since then at least right what are your thoughts on some of the things that can make remote work more or more effective or less effective? Like what are, what are the factors at play for remote work? Oh man. I mean, I, some of the stuff that it just like comes to my mind is like people have lives that end up happening throughout the day of your work, especially when you're at home. And I feel like you and I have always been really good about just like living our life, but working while you're doing that too, which yeah, almost no, well, sounds I mean, bad. We, but... How many times have we had a meeting where, I, where we trade off who's the one sharing screen and driving or being like the primary person when we're doing like a pairing session, right? And being like, okay, you'll take point. I'll, I'll work with you, but I'm going to unload the dishwasher while we do that. Yes. Right. And, and then, uh, the benefit for us, for, for listeners is that we're on a two hour time difference. Yes. Um, and so like, I can eat my lunch while you drive and you can eat your lunch while I drive. And like, that has actually been really effective for us in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, I think recognizing that, that life happens, especially when you're home, but also by allowing that to happen, you also get less distractions, right? Like I remember distinctly like when i have work days that that do have a fair amount of meetings and i can do things like get laundry or dishes done uh that that's not hanging over my head at the end of the work day either yes and so i'm a little less rushed to get out the door yes um stuff like that yeah um i i think one of the key things too with remote work is uh smaller team sizes because communication you have to be a lot more deliberate um you don't have the you know just pop into somebody's office or cube or whatever uh and just have the casual conversation or the in the, the in the hallway water cooler kind of conversation after a meeting and so those things have to be a deliberate effort you have to 
hop on a Zoom or a Teams call and and have the the casual catch ups. Um, and, and to do that, because a lot of that becomes one on one conversations, and you have to do that for many team members. Smaller teams end up communicating more effectively. My my rough ballpark on that is like if a Scrum team might have been like seven to ten people in person, I would suggest that that be more like five to seven people remote. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. I feel like it also is really important to make that time when you are remote to have those conversations to connect with your team. Cause it's like, if you're fully remote and I don't know who you like, it's hard to like, I don't know. It's just like personable. You want to be, and that goes with like any kind of work. Like you want, like you want to work with people that you like working with and Mm -hmm. to do that, you also have to get to know them a little bit and what they do, their life and having those one-on-one conversations are really important because that will inevitably help you be a better team in general. Like being able to tell them honestly, hey, this code isn't good or hey, let's tag up and talk about this because I think that we need to work through it. Like, you know, like- yeah, you're, you're, you're establishing trust. trust. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Right, and, and and relationships where like when the time comes that you do have to sit down and go, hey, this this code sucks, right? <laughs> you, you, gotta, you gotta change this. But like they know that's from a place of, of caring about the quality of the team or, or the people you're working with. And if your only interactions with those people are like, hey, this is not good code, right? Yeah. Then that that drives that relationship. And so it's important to have positive interactions with your team. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll share one experience and then I'll ask for yours on um, what are some ways you've achieved that on a team? So so what are some ways that, that you would handle, like how, how do you achieve that kind of like relationship rather than just like one-on-ones? Um, and I think I've seen a couple things that teams have done that have worked really well, and, and I want to hear your perspective on it as well. Um, one of the best things I saw was that it was a team where like somebody on the team just scheduled a regular, like everybody joins and, and has a cup of coffee together or lunch or whatever. You have some some time during the week, once or twice a week, that's half an hour-ish, and people just can just show up or not and just chat. Um, yeah. And I found that was pretty effective. It gave people, particularly during the pandemic, yeah. um, when when everybody was forced into that remote environment, that was that became a big thing, and that gave people that kind of a sense of community and sanity and a chance to just kind of vent about your workday to your peers because there was no opportunity to be like, oh, let's go out and grab a drink after work. Yeah. Um. So I think I think things like that, like a regular just coffee session kind of thing or something to that effect, was was helpful. I've seen other teams that would take like Friday afternoons and be like, we're going to play a remote board game on zoom. Um, (laughs) and, and so there's, there's various things like that that are particularly helpful. Um, and and I will say not doing this stuff can be really detrimental as well. Right. I've seen teams that are very much of the mindset that like, that's not work, you know, in in a work environment where they are, where they're required to like time track and build things to the customer and they're going, well, that's not billable time. So like, we're not going to take the time to have those conversations. And those teams can be really ineffective at, at communicating with one another. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I <laughs> going back to your first about like having, having times to like meetings to sit and have a coffee and talk while I do think that can be beneficial. I also feel like some people might not want to do that. 
just like having the, Hey, here's a meeting to just sit and talk. Like one, I think about software engineers in general and they're like, wow, this is like pointless. Like, I just want to work on my code. Like I have other things I need to do and I have to sit and talk to these people when I'm not even good at communicating with people. (laughs) And I think that goes for other people too. Like I've heard from some other people that they didn't like that experience. That being said, I still can find benefit in that, but I actually did this thing called disc training at one point. And we had actually a conversation about this where it's like, you know, everyone has different personalities, whether you are a software engineer or whoever you're working with, like that's your leadership or something. And sometimes people need to have that interaction, that personal interaction before they can even do their work. So what I've experienced is where people actually, before we even start our meeting, we'll have like a little chat of like, Hey, how are you doing? How's life? How's your dogs? Like, how are your kids? Like, you know, like just a little five, 10 minute, like session of just talking about anything and everything just to make it personable and then diving into the meeting because you build, you build it into the existing routine. Yeah. Because then at that point, you're not feeling like this meeting is solely to just talk about, you know, personal stuff or, you know, like putting that pressure on it. Cause sometimes I feel like that almost makes people a little bit more because not everyone likes put to people do. on the spot. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, and I, I will say I saw that ramp up and become really a big thing during the peaks of the pandemic. Yes. Where yeah. everybody was feeling very isolated and particularly working with teams that had never worked remote before. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, you know, that's that, that I think there there is a difference between like, hey, we were, you know, like you and I were working remote long before the pandemic yeah. <clears throat> versus like teams that just got suddenly thrust into that. Yeah. Against, against their will. Um, there were a lot of challenges there and that, that in and of itself, that might be even worth a whole separate conversation. Yeah. Um, I, I want to also just comment on, you know, we're talking about remote work, effective communication. I have a strong opinion on, I I like remote teams. I like in-person teams. I find hybrid teams to be much more disruptive. I don't mean hybrid, like where we're in the office X number of days and in the office some number of days, but like hybrid in the sense where like these three people are remote and these yeah. five people are in person. Yeah. Um, I find that that tends to alienate the remote people because the, the in-person people don't take the time for that kind of deliberate communication Yeah. because they're not as aware of what the remote people are going through yeah. and it's harder for the remote people to engage. So I, I'm generally uh, anti-hybrid for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I I understand that. And I mean, I currently work on a team that's hybrid where we have people that are remote and have people that are in office. Um, and we've seemed to make it work. And I think the most important thing with any effectively remote work is communication. For better or for worse, I want to add more time to this because we're getting into a really good conversation. Yeah. Let me take a risk here and give us another five. Okay, um, let's do it. It's funny because I wanted to add another five, but yeah, I. So, <laughs> and here, here's here's why, right? So there. So so first of all, uh, we're recording this remotely in case anybody mm. was curious. Um, yes. And, and what jumped into my head was you were talking about um, being hybrid and dealing with that today. But you know, I, I was reminded of the idea that the team you and I first worked on together was effectively a hybrid environment. Yeah. But there were some caveats to that. 
and I, I kind of want to analyze that for lack of a better term. Um, yeah. You, we were hybrid. So I was, I was remote. Um, there were a bunch of people based in Denver um, and there was one other person remote, maybe give or take, depending on who mm. you count as part of the team. Um, yeah. But those of you guys who were in person in Denver, one, it was like three of you. Um, <laughs> you guys, it, it, so it was a small group, right? The, the, the whole team was at its core. It started as like four people. We, we, other people got engaged in that crew a little larger, depending on how, you know, again, who you considered part of the team and when, um, but the core software dev team was, was never bigger than like six people. Mm -mm. Um, and that, that changed over time and stuff, but at least in the, the initial stages of that team, when it was, it was three people in Denver, one or two people remote, the, the Denver folks had a really good rapport and you guys yeah. worked, you guys worked remotely at least two days a week. And I, I yeah. you know, and so you guys became very aware of remote communication. I was the tech lead. So you guys were all coming to me for stuff. So that forced you guys to communicate with me. Yes. Um, and um, I, I, I also really liked one of the things that you guys did in, in the Denver group that was, I think, in, interesting, if not effective, was um, you had this thing where if one person wasn't going to come into the office that day, the rest of you stayed home. Yes. Uh, you had yep. you had a text group. You were like, oh, so and so is not feeling well, or just doesn't feel like coming into the office today. And like, then the whole group stayed home. And so you yep. you you actually like at least within the Denver group actively avoided the hybrid environment. Yeah, <laughs> we did. We were pretty good about that, to be honest. Like we, I I mean, like as a team, we were really flexible, and it was easy for us to be flexible, which I loved. Like, I think that is like a huge benefit of of hybrid is like being able to, you know, flex as a team of being like, hey, like let's be in the office together today, or hey, like let's work from home. Um, and I haven't experienced that since, but I also think that like it brings a lot of value to the team and it honestly everyone's like you know like that works really well that worked so well for us that i would almost suggest it to anyone that's doing remote work I, that is hybrid said, i've always said that my ideal environment is one where there is an office to go into but i don't have to go in yes yeah i agree because i feel like it it brings benefit like there is a lot of benefit to being in the office sometimes like being able to talk in person and being like hey like i need a i have a new feature that i need to figure out this architecture i want to whiteboard this with the team yes yeah. so i think there are there are like three or four things i can immediately point to that i i know are better in person they're doable remotely but uh planning sprint like sprint yes. planning and or yeah. like backlog refinement um retrospectives mm -hmm. um and design work, right? When you're actually like in yeah. front of the whiteboard, brainstorming how a system's going to work, there yeah. is nothing as effective as we can be at it remotely. There is nothing quite like the experience of doing that and all hovering around a whiteboard to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, I'll also throw out just because it jumped into my head with that. Um, there's also the case where being remote can be really effective, and I've, I got a lot of feedback from people during the pandemic of. Hey, pair programming and like mob programming became way easier when we were doing it remotely. Like oh, if yeah. you're not actually like sitting in a cubicle, being uncomfortable, hovered around somebody's screen. Yeah. Room. So it's hard. So there are actually a few 
a few areas where like remote work is actually more effective in some cases. Yeah. Oh, 100. I completely agree. Doing paired programming in person is <laughs> is way worse than doing it through uh through WebEx or or whatever system that you use. I yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I don't know if I have more thoughts, but <laughs> no, I, I feel like I can talk about remote work for ages because I've, I've been doing it yeah. for a while. I've seen people do it well. I've seen people do it poorly. And uh, and I've seen a lot of people push back on it post pandemic. AI, how will it change software engineering? I, I will, I will start and maybe preface this with we've at least I have been exploring GitHub Copilot and uh, ChatGPT mm -hmm. extensively yeah. over the last six to nine months. Um, ChatGPT is interesting. Um, I, I don't want to make this a whole conversation about ChatGPT. It, it's been really interesting to be able to say like, hey, write me code that does this or whatever. Um, and one of the first examples that kind of blew my mind was I was like, oh, let me just go through like a really simple thing, like build a URL shortener micro, you know, microservice. And I prompted ChatGPT with like, can you design me the API, you know, how would I design the API for, for this? And it like gives me some conceptual answer. And I was like, great. Can you design me the API? And it gives me back like the HTTP, like, all right, it'll be a get and here's the URL and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, cool. Can you write me the JavaScript code to do that with Express.js? And it like it spat out an Express.js server file with the API code and a in-memory dictionary to store the UR shortened URLs. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Can you make that connect to MongoDB instead? And it like replaced the in-memory dictionary with with Mongo. And I was like, okay, this is this is getting interesting. Like it in like two minutes via some fairly brief back and forth conversation, it generated this whole API service. And by the way, it included like three API endpoints with like expanding the URLs and redirections and all that. It wasn't that simple. Um, and then I was like, cool, can you generate me the swagger doc for this API? And it generated all of the swagger doc. And I was just like, I, I was really blown away by the, the idea that, I mean, it was a relatively simple and straightforward problem, but even if it got some stuff wrong, which it didn't in this case, um, saved me a ton of time if I were to have to write something like that from scratch. Yeah. Just, it just in the typing alone, forget about the, the heavy thinking work. Yeah. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts? So I've heard like a lot of people use Copilot or ChatGPT, you being one of them. Um, and I do know that it has brought a lot of benefit to being able to like help progress your programming um, and or like give you ideas prior to starting on work. The big thing that comes into my brain though, is like, you, you, you just said how it helped with like that hard thinking or, or you had said something about that. And it's like, that's part of the stuff that I love though, with that, like, is like sad because it's like, yeah, like I could use chat GPT to help me. And maybe that's what I do. Maybe I think about it before. And then I use that to like, make sure that I'm thinking about it. Right. But I like, that's something that I love about software engineering is how do I solve this problem and thinking through that process instead of using a system to help me do that, you know, like 
and just having them do that. And some people, maybe that's what they want. Maybe they don't like that, you know, thought process and they just like, they love just the coding aspect of it and they don't want the hard thought process of like solving the issue. But that's like, I don't, I don't want to lose that. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I, I have actually two thoughts on that. So the first is, I, I don't think it removes that. I think yeah. it um, eliminates that in places where you didn't want to do it. it maybe right. where you didn't want to do it. Like, like if, if the AI can do it for you effectively, then it really wasn't that hard thinking. You're not solving a problem that hasn't been solved, right? True, because the true. very nature of like it learned from other things, like this problem's been solved. It's kind of doing that for you. And yeah. so from one perspective, I feel like that eliminates certain stuff to let you focus on like the domain specific problem. Like why is yeah. this system that I'm building different than all the others that are vaguely like it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so in, in that sense, I think... Uh, it, it actually allows you to do more hard thinking in more targeted places. That's fair. The, uh, the other thing, and I've seen this be detrimental, particularly among students so far, um, is if you rely on it to do the hard thinking for you without at, at a minimum validating it, right, and understanding what it created for you, you can't edit, maintain, or tweak what it created. That's true. And I, I distinctly remember I had a student team come to me. This was probably six months ago, nine months ago. And they're like, oh, can you help us with our code? And I'm looking at their code and I'm like, well, what's going on? They're like, well, it's it's got an error on this line. It's like, well, what are you trying to do? And they're like, well, this this function does some stuff that like they were, they were really, really vague about the way they described it. And I was like, well, what's going on? Like, what do you, I, I couldn't get them to, to explain to me what the goal of the function was, right? And so eventually when I was realized they were struggling to articulate to me what, what the code was doing, I was like, or what the goal of it was, I was like, guys, did you just copy this from Stack Overflow? And they were like, oh, we use ChatGPT. And I was like, well, there's your problem right there. Like, yeah. I don't have a problem with the idea that you're using these tools for what they're good at. Yeah. But if you're using the tools and you don't understand what it created, and then you're going like, the code's not doing what I need it to do, but yeah. I don't understand what it's trying to do then you're not doing ng any engineering, yes. right? And, you know, you're not being valuable to that organization, right? Whether that's a student project or, or a company. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't think it replaces the hard thinking. I think it, Can it makes certain hard thinking that, that other people have already done more accessible. I was just going to say, I completely agree with that. And to be honest, after after you saying some of that in my head, I'm like instantly like, well, I use stack overflow to like help me with some of my thinking too, you know? And, and like, right. You Google stuff. Yeah. It's right? like, yeah. It's like, I'm not going to know everything. The, the, the difference is that and what I like about things like chat GPT is like, when you're like, Oh, I need an example for how to do this in this language or framework. You can spend a lot of time trying to find the right results in Google that like are close enough to your use case that yeah. they give you a representative example what I've found, that's that's another case where I've found ChatGPT pretty useful is I go like, hey, I want to see an example of it doing like exactly my problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, or very, very, very close to my problem. And you can you can get much more tailored results yeah. than you would from a Stack Overflow article. But I would say the downfall is that people aren't always going to use it that way. People are going to inevitably use it as write me this code. I'm going to copy and paste it. That yes, being said, and that, that is a huge problem. Yeah, I was going to say that's going to be those own their own issues when they do that. 
but at the same time, I think that's also where it's like, you know, if you have a team and someone's using that and or copying and pasting, get like chat GPT code or something like while some of it might be helpful, there also might be a whole other thing where it's like, well, maybe we need to make sure that we're looking at this code and not just like copying and pasting because it, it could not be fully correct. Because I know that you've also had instances where it's been wrong in some of oh, the- Oh yeah, abso absolutely. It's, it's not 100% correct. It doesn't understand the broader context yeah. of what it's creating. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think my the, the biggest thing I would say on this is that ultimately at the end of the day, you, the engineer, are responsible for the thing you're engineering. Mm -hmm. And you own that. And, yeah. you know, if AI tools like ChatGPT are going to be used, that's fine. But they're a tool. Yeah. They're not a solution. Yes. Right? They're not, like, they don't just do it for you. Um, I will also say, because um, it, it's it's tangentially related, I've been exploring ChatGPT and GitHub Copilot, and specifically in the context of software, GitHub Copilot has been absolutely amazing. Um, things like you write a comment and it'll like fill out the next few lines of code, or if your function is well named, it can write a lot. You can attempt to write the whole function for you, but again, you have to understand what it's doing. You have to make changes to it, yeah. right? You can't take it blindly. But if for nothing else, it saved me so much time typing. Yeah. <laughs> if, if all it did was save me the time moving my fingers across the keyboard it has been worth the money. Um, but it's it's so much more sophisticated than just that. And yeah. so um, I will say I've been a huge fan of GitHub Copilot. Um, I work in, you know, between the consulting work and some of the other stuff I'm doing, I, I've lately, I've, I've worked in environments where I have the access to that and I've worked in environments where I don't. Yeah. And I feel, I, I don't want to say I've become dependent on it, because, but I've, <laughs> I've come to find it such an aid to the day-to-day -day act of writing code that the environments where I don't have it feel crippling by comparison. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Like, yeah, it's, I, I've, I've been absolutely thrilled with GitHub Copilot. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the fun facts that I found on Google, the first thing that pops up, this is a high paying job. That's, that's a fun fact. That's apparently a I mean, fun fact. That can be a fun fact. <laughs> now, I, I got one that was uh, a software bug cost NASA $125 million when in 1999, the Mars Climate Orbiter failed due to a unit conversion error in the software. Whoa. I, I, I want to comment on that and say it was not a unit conversion error in the software. It was a requirements failure and they used the wrong units. It wasn't an error in conversion. They used the wrong units. So the code was correct. The requirements were wrong. Even knowing small, weird little facts about <laughs> I like space stuff. I know you do. Well, okay. I like software and computers and computer history in particular. Yeah. I like space stuff and I like learning about how engineering systems fail. Yeah. I've read the Mars Climate or Orbiter mishap report. Like that's... that's if that puts anything in perspective. Yeah. Oh.